Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I am your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a word of thanks to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree executive fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space is Dr. Uche Blackstock. Dr. Blackstock is an emergency medicine physician, and she is the founder of Advancing Health Equity. And she is an essential voice for change in America at a critical time with a number of intersecting public health crises. She has testified before Congress. She is a increasingly more and more prominent figure in mass media And she leads this new venture, Advancing Health Equity, which is a really powerful voice for change. In this conversation, we discuss a skill that she is developing at a rapid clip and one that I admire, learning how to say no. And it's really interesting to gather her insights around this important step as we all move forward together and harbor our resources and channel our energies to make sure we can do sustainable work in a longitudinal way. We also get into the professional hamster wheel that exists within medicine, as well as a conversation around helping organizations to build an equitable culture. There are links to all of her endeavors in our show notes, and I would invite you to definitely check all of those out. Before we get to the conversation, I'll just invite you to also check out the archive for Explore the Space at www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find the podcast anywhere you download your shows, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Please do subscribe and please do leave us a rating and review. You can find me on social media, Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show, and you can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. So without further ado, Dr. Uche Blackstock. Dr. Blackstock, welcome to Explore the Space. I'm, I'm delighted this finally came together. Me too. Thank you for having me. We were chatting a little bit just before we started recording and we were reflecting how I think it's been about six months that we've been circling our episode. And while I don't script my questions, I like to make some notes. I like to kind of do some prep. And my, my notes from when we had to reschedule, I think it was late March, and my notes for today, they're very, very different. Yeah, the world has shifted considerably since since we last emailed, but I'm glad that we have finally connected. There are a lot of places we could start. And one of the places that I would like to start, if it's okay with you, is something that I feel like you have expertise in. It's a place where I don't feel strong. And I think a lot of people would like to learn from you because it comes up on this show and it comes up on social media a lot. I feel like you are moving along, and I'm curious to get your sense of your comfort level with the act of saying no. 
I feel like you've gotten really good at at least sharing the opportunities where you have had something come up, a question, an option, an idea, and you have said no. And I, I am, I am working to get better at that, to do it artfully and correctly, but also to do it. Yeah. I think I tweeted this out either yesterday or the day before yesterday, but it's been a process. Um, It wasn't something that I could do easily. And it was almost a learned skill because I have almost come to the point in, I guess, my career where just been getting a lot of demands placed on me just from all different directions. And what I also realized is in order to preserve and conserve my energy, that there are certain things that I will say no to. And, and that could be anything from, oh, can you be interviewed for this piece to can you explain this racial issue to me? Because it's not just about physical energy that's being expended, but also emotional and psychological energy. And so I want to be in this in terms of like the work that I do in terms of connecting with people for a a very long time. And to do so, um, I made the realization over probably the last like six months to a year that I really have to create boundaries and maintain my energy levels. I want to get granular with your process around this because the way you just laid that out really resonates. One of the things in particular was your comment just that that we're going to be doing this for a long time. And I think hopefully a lot, uh, I know for myself, but hopefully lots of us. And when I say us, I mean, globally, I mean, the kind of the, the all encompassing us, this is, this is longitudinal lifetime work, whether it's combating structural racism, whether it's learning how to be anti-racist, whether it's working through a pandemic and also just basic self-care and maintaining those boundaries so that we can have successful careers and fruitful lives. I want to kind of get granular with some of this in terms of creating the uh, creating the space to understand what you want to say no to in the first place. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not even there yet. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that uh, so, for example, there was a you know, I think the, the, the tweet that I had most recently was about a, a, a white colleague who over six months after I left my academic position, reached out to me and 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 said that he wanted to, he was trying to gather evidence uh, for people who had been unjustly treated, and so he wanted uh, me to talk to him. And I have to admit, when I got that text message, I was taken aback because this is someone who I actually hadn't heard from at all, who had had not reached out to me. And what I also realized was that in the process of me having to, if I, if I did choose to explain to him what had happened, that would be using a considerable amount of energy and also going back to a place that was pretty negative. So it was almost like, like re-traumatizing me. And so, and then I also realized I, you know, while he probably intended it to be, um, to, to seem like he was being helpful for me, it actually seemed a little bit (laughs) self-serving. And so I kind of like put all those pieces together very quickly. And I just said, you know what? No, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. And, you know, some people, I, I think, you know, commented underneath, no, but you could have helped them. And I said, well, I've actually written extensively and spoken out extensively over about my experience. And so it's out there. So 
you know, this may require people to actually do the work to to read what I wrote or to, to to look up some conversations that I've had and really be thoughtful about that. Like, I don't have to do additional emotional labor um, so that you can feel better about yourself or feel less guilty. Does the does the process of seeing that puzzle kind of come together for yourself and then saying no, is it a learned skill? Do you feel like you're getting more comfortable with it? And I'm asking with that sort of sense of anticipation, because I think as people are hearing you describe your journey around this, this piece are, are kind of like clamoring for these skills that you're developing and describing. Well, yeah, it's definitely a learned skill because I will say that I have been probably for most of my life like a people pleaser. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I don't, too. I don't like to, I don't like people to be upset with me. I like uh, there's part of me that likes to be liked by everyone, and, <laughs> and I think that as I've gotten, you know, as I've gotten older, and even just as I've had these very transformative experiences um, over the last two to three years, when I realized that maybe I couldn't do the work or that I wanted to do or or, or be myself authentically in certain academic spaces that, and it was time to, to, to find another, another passion that um, it, it kind of sort of has hit me that, you know, Uche, everyone is not going to like you, right? You're, you're a, a phenomenal person, but you know, it's just, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And so I think part of it's probably also maturing. I have, um, two small children now and my priorities have shifted also. So while I don't need to win the most popular person award anymore, um, I do derive joy out of other things now. And so definitely a learned skill, definitely having to be intentional about it. And sometimes I fall back into my old habits too. <laughs> the old habits yeah. definitely still die hard. Yeah. But it it does circle back I think to that part that you mentioned at the beginning too around it's it's self-care. And how how much do you feel like in the opportunities whether it's someone pinging you on social media for some insight and you have replied no or someone asking you to write something as you just described and saying no, how much of that after the fact do you kind of say wow, that felt really good and I have x amount of energy left to do whatever the case whatever the priority is at that moment. Right. And I will say that it's empowering. It is, is it? Yeah. definitely empowering. And it almost like releases me of any guilt too, which is weird because I think because I feel so firm and so confident in this decision because it is for self-preservation that I can say, no, it's okay. And then I can, I feel released, released from that burden, interestingly enough. That is really interesting. How much time do you take for yourself? Again, getting granular here. When you get a request that doesn't land quite right, or it's some, not something where you say, oh, wow, that's really, that aligns with what I'm trying to do. And that sounds great. I'm going to say yes right now. How much space and time do you give yourself when you get a request <laughs> to kind of work through the anxiety of this person might not like me and this may be frustrated, but I'm, I think I'm going to say no. How much space do you give yourself? How much time? You know what? It varies. And, and, yeah. and honestly, it, it, it varies. It varies how I'm feeling in that moment and also like how stressed I am or how not stressed I am. Okay. Um, and who it is also like yeah. who, who's the, who's the bearer of the request. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and then, you know, I think that I, I do have a tendency of I'm, I, I'm a very like empathic person. I, I, I also go with like how I'm feeling inside a lot. And so sometimes that usually steers me in the right direction. But sometimes there are times when I need to be to really sit on something. And so, yeah, it just it's sort of all those variables factor in to how and when I, I reply. But I will say I, pro- I probably do it within minutes to days. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then on the flip side, when you get something that comes up on your radar that you say yes to, does it make saying yes more fruitful, exciting, motivating? Yes, because absolutely, because if something aligns with my values and my priorities and just feels good, I I, I say I go with it. I don't even have to think about it. Because like I said, I've, I've essentially lived my life based on how an experience or um, a situation, how, how it makes me feel inside. And I've done pretty well trusting my gut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. If there's a, a – remember from the movie, the, the movie The Matrix, they have the chips that they put in and it just kind of gives your brain the skill. This, this would be high on my list of <laughs> – things to just, but that doesn't mean we aren't going to do the hard work. And I appreciate you sharing all of this stuff because it's something that I get asked about a lot. It's something that I know that I need to get better at. And I want to get better at because we want to do this for a long time and requests and pings and suggestions, they can feel overwhelming. And I think that whether it's our training in medicine or I'm not sure what it is, but I think a lot of us are in a place where the reflex is to say, yes, take it on board and just kind of suck it up. Oh my gosh, it really is, and and I don't know because because you were, were you were in academic medicine before. I can't remember. No, You're, so I. No, it's funny. Never. Okay. I, one of the things in my career I feel like I did well is for me, and this isn't a criticism of people who chose to to stay in academics, but for me, I I recognized pretty early that that pathway just was not going to be was not mm-hmm. going to suit the life that I saw for myself, and for me, it was a really good choice. Um, so no, I I. Uh, I finished my residency and in my last year residency, the conversation came up that I have interest in being a chief resident and I mm-hmm. passed. I, I, wow. I, de- I declined and I moved on with my career and, yeah. um, never looked back, not in a bad way. Not like, thank goodness right. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking out and I'm, I'm out of here. It was just, I'm ready <laughs> to move to the next phase. I want to be in attending. I'm engaged. I want to start playing tennis again. I want to, yeah, I know. I, and I it felt hear good you. for me. Yeah. Well, well, the reason why I asked is because I felt like, especially in academics, that you are asked to do a lot. You're asked to do a lot without really any sort of tangible compensation, you know, in response. Like, basically, you are, like, in any other field or any other, like, in in corporate America, right, if, if you're asked to do extra things, like, you are compensated for those extra things, but in academic medicine, it's like you can be asked to do 20 different things. And, and the compensation that you're supposed to feel, I guess, is that, you know, it's like sort of altruism, like I'm doing something good. But, but what happens is that that culture actually ends up draining you, right? Because you are overextended and overcommitted. And, 
and sometimes you feel like there's really no value seen in your work. Um, and, and, and that's actually one thing that I had begun to notice about academia. And I know that even my department that I was in previously had tried to find ways to, you know, assign assign value or some sort of incentive to, to doing um, different tasks or projects because you sort of just start feeling like you're putting out so much, you're doing so much and not really getting anything in return. And not necessarily like it has to be like, you know, money, but something else other than just doing the work. I am grinning ear to ear. This is one of my big soapboxes. This is one of the places where I get up and try to speak loudly about exactly what you just said, that we in the profession of medicine, whether you're a physician or a nurse or really anybody, you're asked to do lots and lots and lots of things. We say yes, yes to lots and lots of things. Our CVs fill up. We yes. feel like we're getting somewhere, but you re there's, there isn't any compensation. And I will say, to be fair, having not been in it, what we would describe as an academic practice since I finished residency, it's no different. The dynamic is not different. It's not Same. like there's a panacea where everything is you know, 180 degrees, the acad, what I call it, it's the academic hamster wheel. It exists outside of academia as well. And it spins just as fast, but it is vitally important. And that's why learning from you around the art of saying no, I think is so critical because if we're going to sustain ourselves, mm -hmm. when we do work, when we share expertise, when we share hard won lessons, we have to feel whole around it. And it's not because we're trying to line our pockets and get rich. It's right. There just needs to be that basic sense of meaning and transaction so that you at least feel whole. Yes. Yeah. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I, so we're, I, I we're united yeah. on that. But I, I think it's critically here. important. And I think especially for people in medical school and residency mm -hmm. to understand mm -hmm. that because and I'm curious for me, at least when you're when you are asked to do things and there isn't that sense of we value you and here's how this this project that we're asking you to do is also going to support your vision of your career. Yeah. It's it's not just that you're not getting that sense of being whole. To me at least, there's a real risk that you're going to devalue the person or make them feel yeah. like they don't they shouldn't ask in the future and that is not a good path to be on. You know, I, I agree. And I also was thinking about even just the pandemic, you know, that we're in right now. And thinking about how, you know, healthcare workers, like we literally put our lives on the line and we were not protected, right? You know, there, was, there wasn't enough, you know, personal protective equipment. But I think that there are, you know, there were institutions and hospitals that realized that we were still going to take care of patients, right? Like it was almost like they know that we're still going to do the work, right? Because of the Hippocratic Oath or it's the kind of people that we are. And so... And I, and I see that sometimes like we are taken advantage of because of that or even exploited too. I totally agree with you. And I think it's good that you and I can share what we have experienced and reflected on, uh, you know, me you know, you kind of you asking about why did I not go into academics and you have been extraordinarily right. transparent around your journey. All of these pathways have real virtue. They have real value. They have extraordinary learning experience that the pathway that suits you is, is the pathway that suits you. Mm -hmm. But 
it's also okay to ensure that you learn how to say no to things that aren't mission driven, that you understand your own sense of value, that you learn how to negotiate a contract, that you understand the concept of fair market value. All of these things are just critically important. And I think that we've had a couple of generations of physicians and healthcare professionals who never even understood, let alone were trained in those skills. Oh, absolutely. It's almost like just like the clinical stuff is important. But no, yeah. the rest of it's important, too, because how are you going to be able, like you said, like to sustain yourself, to stay, sustain your career, to feel whole, right? Yeah, if you don't yeah. have those other skills. Um, yeah. And, and so I'm hoping I'm hoping that this current generation of medical students and trainees and the future generations um, are, you know, can have these conversations or have that kind of exposure um, that, that we like I didn't have that at all. Yeah. I just felt like I just felt like there was something wrong. I felt like something was off. <laughs> I, I agree, but I also felt like something was off if I said no. I felt like I was making yes. a, I was felt like I was making I a mistake. And God forbid you yeah. say yes. Is there a is there a consulting agreement? Is there a contract? Is there a ten ninety? That that yeah. is that that yeah. was a, that was a bridge you didn't cross. Right, right, and almost made to feel guilty if you were to even ask for that. Almost. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. No, made, made, to, feel made to feel guilty. Made to feel guilty. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but but there's a word that you and I have both touched on a couple times, and I think it's important we spend some time in this. And it's this idea of sustaining ourselves. Your, your website, your uh, your your note on your website around the COVID nineteen update. You talk about how we are in a crisis within a crisis. We are going to be doing longitudinal work, and I always like to ask people when we have this opportunity, I just, I'm curious because we've talked about sustaining ourselves and your website reflects on this and you have too. And I think we all sense this idea of these multiple intersecting crises, these multiple intersecting public health disasters that we have to unspool and leverage all of our professional and personal skills to do so. What is your sense of this moment? What is, how do you word associate? How do you write? How do you describe the moment that we're in? Uh, well, you know, the, one of the words that comes to mind, comes to mind is definitely un- unprecedented. But I also yeah. feel like I'm hoping because I I am an optimist that this is an inflection point in in, in our society and in, in this country's history. And that you know, there are two paths that we can take. We can we can go down that path of doing things as business as usual, or we can actually look at this moment and um, listen, listen to the communities that have been affected and the people that have been affected and look at, you know, the racial health disparities that we've seen and the, the police violence and, and move forward to creating a, uh, a society that, that values everyone's lot, that values everyone's lives. Right. And um, especially black lives. And I think that if we were not to do that in this moment, it would be, yeah, it just, it would be egregious, truly. Because if, if not now, then when, right? If this is not the moment, because <laughs> I think what's interesting is that I think everyone can feel it. I think that we saw how poorly um, this administration has, has handled and responded to this pandemic. I think everyone saw that, regardless of your racial background, socioeconomic background, and definitely a, if there was any trust there, it was, it was broken. Um, and then we saw, we've seen the disparities and how just disproportionate they were. And we know what the underlying factors and reasons are. 
and then we're see- and then we're seeing you know police violence against you know um, black Americans, and, and and I think people, not just black people, I think everyone is like something is something's not right. So I think if, if we're all feeling this, then we all should make sure that this moment doesn't pass us by. So this moment, when you when you use that word, and I and I agree that that's the right word to use, it. It in, it in, it sort of instills a sense of urgency, even though we've talked about how we're going to do this work for the rest of our careers and our lives. Moment means now to me. It means right. this piece of time. So we're in the middle of 2020. It's a momentous year. It's an election year. We also can't do everything at once or we won't do any of it very well. So then we get back to one of our skills in leadership that we all try to learn and build and get better at, and that's prioritization and then Mm -hmm. executing Mm -hmm. on our priorities. What are you prioritizing personally and what are you prioritizing institutionally in in your professional work? So I think um, for me, thinking about like this moment, you know, I testified a few weeks ago in front of the U.S. House Representatives Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus, which was like, I I would have to say my biggest flex since leaving academic medicine, but but that I would have the opportunity in my professional work to somehow influence legislation, right, that would have an impact on the communities that I care so deeply about just felt so incredibly um, profound. So actually right now I'm working on a set of both short and long-term recommendations to the subcommittee um, around what we can do to address these, these racial health disparities. And so that feels very empowering, but that also hopefully um, leads to some sort of sustainable change, right? And so we have to think about short-term solutions as well as long-term solutions. And so short-term you know, obviously thinking about in this pandemic, you know, um, targeted testing, contact tracing, directing equitable um, allocation of resources to black and brown communities. But obviously in the long term, thinking about our social determinants of health and how uh, we need to essentially fund programs and fund housing and put wealth back into into black communities. Even that is a lot. I know, but this is, but, and, and I, I agree. It's, it's going to take. I don't mean um, that as a criticism. Long. I don't mean that no, as a criticism, no. but even yeah. as a starting point, that's a that's a lot. I know, but it has to start from somewhere. It's got to start so, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it has to start from somewhere, and you know, I think right now it looks like it's up to both state and local um, governments are the ones that are sort of taking the lead on things, and so. Yeah. It seems like some, some states are doing it better than, than others, but um, I'm, I'm, I know there are a lot of really smart, um, motivated people out there that are trying to make sure this moment doesn't um, pass us by and that we have legislation that will change how communities receive funding and how communities can, and can help communities thrive that need to. And how are you implementing this stuff through your business, advancing health equity? How are you using that as fuel? And also who is starting to reach out, acknowledging you're an expert who's now testifying before Congress to say, you're, you're the sort of person that we, that we want. Let's see if we can make an agreement so we can, we can move forward together. Yeah. So, so in addition to, I'm actually going to be submitting recommendations to the subcommittee this week, but in addition to those recommendations, you know, I'm working with uh, just a variety of organizations from 
um, interestingly, medical schools, but also also healthcare systems, right? Around how do we make our healthcare organizations more equitable, right? So that we can make sure that the care that we're providing to communities is equitable as well. Because that's the other funny thing that I've noticed. I'm like, how are organizations um, can be, they're like, they can be, have a racist culture. And then we expect them to serve, to serve black and brown communities. That makes no sense. And so a lot of the work that I started doing was really working within organizations around developing a racial equity culture, around um, developing an anti-racist ideology. And, and, and really focusing on the underpinnings of, of structural racism and what they can do as organizations, right? How they can um, engage with the communities that they serve uh, to help address these disparities. The memoir that you write somewhere, maybe 2022, 2023, <laughs> reflecting just on what happens when an organization reaches out to you and your reply says, awesome, I'm in. Phase one looks like this. And you use those terms acknowledging a racist culture, acknowledging structural racism, learning to be anti-racist. Those are terms that when they hear, I'm sure elicit a response, just helping us understand what it's like for all of us to work through that acknowledgement from your perspective is going to be critical for continued growth. Yes, no, yeah, absolutely. And I think that one thing about this moment right now is that we need to have these hard conversations, right? Like this is the time to have these hard conversations to, to do that, that deep work, to do that self-reflection. And, and I'm, I'm feel optimistic that I see some organizations wanting to do that work. And what's interesting is that I left academic medicine to, 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 to do the work that I'm being asked to do more of now. So I have to say that even though what we're going through as a country right now is incredibly painful, that it has only reaffirmed the decision I made to leave academic medicine and focus on my organization, Advancing Health Equity. It's an important comment on, like you said, trusting your gut. And also just acknowledging that it's important to be mission driven. It would be very difficult to be raising up your, your project, advancing health equity, to be raising up this new business right now. You are already up. You had done it. You had had trusted your gut. You you had followed, you had said, this is what feels mission driven to me. It's acknowledging academic medicine has good and bad. I'm going to step away because there's something else I need to be doing. And now in this moment, you're already up and running. I know. I, I literally, I wake up every morning and say, I cannot believe this is happening. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't believe it's happening because I think there were people that were kind of like, they were, are you, Uche, are you crazy? Like you're leaving, <laughs> you're leaving your associate. You just got promoted to associate professor. You're leaving. Yeah. You could be, and you could stay in academics for the rest of your life. And no, but there was, I, I felt this pull and there was a reason why I felt this pull. Cause look at this, look at where we are right now. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, um, I, I feel like I feel so many things. I feel reaffirmed. I feel feel vindicated and I feel validated. <laughs> Which is good to know because right now what you're doing, there's lots of people with the enthusiasm around it. But just from the practical perspective, you've already built the infrastructure. You're going to need to scale it, obviously. But you already have. I know. You, you, have, you have the wireframe up and running. And that's a huge advantage to actually be able to execute as opposed to still be in the brainstorm and processing phase, you're, you're already rolling. And that's a right. massive advantage. 
Right, right. Although, as you mentioned, the scaling up part is the part that I really need to start working on and, and, yeah. and finding finding um, others who are like minded and who really are committed to this work as well. Yeah. Um, because I am get I am getting a ton of inquiries. Yeah. Uh, and 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 requests, and so I want to make sure that we can continue the work um, and just do it on a larger level. And it'll be interesting to to learn from you as well as you scale up. You're going to have lots of people, I would imagine, from lots of different backgrounds and experiences, particip- wanting to participate and leveraging that skill and art of saying no yes. and saying, "Look, right. you're not the right person to join us," and maybe you are, and they're going to be mad, and they're going to be. For me, just even talking about it gives me some anxiety. <laughs> so it's going to be it's going to be phenomenal to watch that growth because you'll do it, and I'm t- I'm 100 confident that you'll execute on it. But there's learning just in that process too. Right. No, absolutely. And and I want to share something also interesting, just like setting goals for yourself. I had told myself that, you know, I um, I still work part-time clinically. I shifted from emergency medicine to urgent care because I still wanted to keep my feet wet. But my goal was by the end of the year to actually phase out of, of urgent care. And I didn't think that I, that was going to be, that was, it was very aspirational. Like I wasn't going to, I didn't think that was going to happen, but, um, but seeing how things are going right now, I think I may be able to do that just, just in terms of supporting myself and my family with this work. Wow. And that is just overwhelming. It's good to know that you are not only acknowledging and crafting your goals, but that you're moving through them. Uh, and I also like that you mentioned your family, because I want to ask you as we kind of move towards the end, you also talk on your social media and in your writing about how we've made this transition to our virtual meetings. And we all have the the tribulations and trials of when we're at home and we're trying to have a meeting or record a podcast. We might have outside noise. We might have a kid running around. We might have the dog. <laughs> Are you keeping, I want to know this because you said you have a three and a five-year-old, the propensity for them to come just kind of racing into the room whilst we're in the middle of something is high and you're doing a lot of meetings. Are you going to keep like an archive of the, of the times they come in and what happens? (laughs) Okay. So you know what? This weekend I finally did because we we don't have any (laughs) locks on our doors Uh and and I I finally put a lock on our, on on the door to um, (laughs) one of the bedrooms where I do most of my calls. I'm like, this is getting ridiculous. Although sometimes... (laughs) Although, although sometimes I do think it, it's, I mean, I think it's adorable. And I think as I, as we, when we were talking before, um, before we started recording that we are whole people and we have whole right. lives. And, and, and right. I think this, and this moment has, has, it has really emphasized that. And so, you know, I almost kind of want my kids to come and sit on my lap. It's just that they, if I tell them to go, they won't go. They won't go. Yeah, <laughs> so, totally. So I, I, I wouldn't be able to finish. <laughs> yeah. I think we're really fortunate. Like a year ago, I don't know if you remember, there was that, I think he was on the BBC. There was that Oh, BBC, of, I remember. Yeah, yes. and like his kids ran in and they were being hilarious and they were dancing and he was trying to push them hilarious. back. It went viral <laughs> and it went viral in the right way of everyone being like, yes, that yes. totally happens. And my kids are cool. And I'm, and it was great. And it sort of humanized yes. that. So when, when this all happened, we were ready. Exactly. Exactly. So we've talked a lot about the things that you're doing and kind of your, your presence and your, your growing prominence. How do people find you if they want to learn more about advancing health equity, if they want to follow you on social media, where do they go to find you? Sure. So you can um, find uh, Advancing Health Equity's website at www.advancinghealthequity.com. And there is a contact form on there that you can um, contact me through. Um, and also you can find me on Twitter at uh, my first name, Uche, U-C-H-E underscore Blackstock. Thank you. 
Oh, for sure. Thank you. They're, they're critical things to look. I've, I've got the website bookmarked and I like to watch the, the partners piece. There's that, I think it's on the front page of who you're working with and it, and it grows. It's awesome. You see the new logo pop up. It's very cool. <laughs> uh, and then your social media feed, your Twitter feed is critical. It's, it's been, it's been a, a learning opportunity for me. And not only do you put up great comments, but you also elevate other voices so that we kind of break out of our social media silos and learn from right. and connect with other people that we otherwise may not have. And that is a really, really wonderful thing to do as well. Thank you. I'm trying to be more and more intentional about that, it's, especially as my exposure grows. I wanted to also amplify voices that are not heard as much. This is this is wonderful. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It took us like six months to make it happen. I hope it doesn't take as long the next time because I have many more questions and that's okay. We can't we won't do it all at once. We'll prioritize and then we'll we'll uh, we'll hopefully yeah. get to reconvene sometime. Yes. Yeah, we'll come back for part two. There you go. This was a total treat. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. It was an honor. Thanks again to Dr. Blackstock for joining us on this episode of Explore the Space. And thanks again to our sponsors, Lori Bedke and Creighton University. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. Thanks most of all to you for checking out this episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. As always, we will have more great content coming your way. So stay tuned. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.